Hey, it's Tweeter's Digest, the sweet baby podcast. Episode 7, Jane Listens with Her Hands. Hey, Jane, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Hi, Luffy. What have you been up to lately? I have been wandering around New Mexico for the last couple of months. Um, yeah, I saw you at Vibe Camp and kind of been doing that since then. Um, I spent some time in Santa Fe and some time in Albuquerque, and then I got to Taos like two weeks ago. So yeah, I'm kind of figuring, trying to figure out where I live now. <laughs> Taos is a possibility. Okay, yeah. What, what are you doing in Taos? Yeah, great question. What am I doing? Huh? How am I spending my time? Mm-hmm. Um, I am working towards getting a massage license. I just uh, passed my licensing exam. And so, yeah, now I need to actually apply for the license. I'm doing a lot of like resting and relaxing. Honestly, I uh, am still not working and not in school anymore. I finished massage school last year and am like doing some training and studying here and there and also just a lot of like resting and hanging out and enjoying Taos with my dog. Yeah, that's awesome. Congrats on all the all the progress you've made so far. Yeah. Thank you. Hmm. Okay. Let's get into your tweets. Ooh, I'm nervous. <laughs> all right. On November 7th, 2020, you tweeted, Whoa, being a human is like so vulnerable. <laughs> Uh, I was just trying to think like, cause I had a different Twitter account for a while and I was just trying to think like, uh, my tweets on this account don't go back that far, but they, the beginning of them, it was like a bunch of MMA tweets. I wonder if you ran into those in your search, but, uh, anyway, yeah. Being a human, pretty vulnerable, huh? I don't know. Does that like land for you in any kind of way? I know the question is for me, not for you, but, um, it's, it's like a total, it's like a, you know, the meme about like hitting a bong and then like having a like supposedly deep thought. It's like, it totally sounds like that, but it does hit me every once in a while. It's just like, wow, just like existing and like moving around in the world and like trying to like figure out what you're doing with yourself in your life. Just all very vulnerable. <laughs> no, I'm not familiar with the bong meme, uh, but yes, everything else you're saying <laughs> really hits. Um yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, uh, the cliches, I feel like hit the deepest sometimes. Right. 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 Or like, or like, it always just sounds like a cliche to you, but then you actually like have an experience that makes it kind of like land really viscerally or something. And you're like, Oh yeah. The cliche. I mean, not that this one is necessarily a cliche, but yeah, it just hit, hits me sometimes. Like when I, yeah, just kind of like watching people do their thing, go about their lives, especially when people like really, um, Mm, do things that seem bold or like really uh try to like connect with their purpose or like um really like live their dreams in a big kind of way I don't know there's something about that that feels very hmm, vulnerable in a nice way to me mm-hmm. you say more about like what about taking big actions in particular uh reads is exceptionally vulnerable to you Yeah, I feel like um, there was something that was happening on Twitter recently, like that River was kind of like instigating, trying to get people to talk about like, what's their soul's purpose? What's their capital M mission in life? And like, he was kind of pointing at how there is something like 
cringe about it, at least like in our culture, you know, just like, I mean, I think Visa does this a lot and it's part of his brilliance is like, he's just very straightforward about like, these are my dreams. This is what I'm trying to do. It's massive. And like, yes, I'm hundred percent serious. And I, and I, and I live that like in every way. And I, I joke about the outcomes I want, you know what I mean? It's like, um, I think that there's something about that that's kind of rare and, uh, it's easier in some ways to not take yourself very seriously or to like be really self-deprecating all the time. Um, and there is something about like being straightforward about who you are and what you want and going after that. That's like, especially vulnerable, but yeah, I, I guess the tweet was more like widely, um, applicable than that that like yeah even just kind of trying to be a human and like make it through life at all there is something about it that's like uh I don't know kind of like you're constantly exposed to other people's critiques and opinions and um emotional stuff and uh yeah good for us being humans being vulnerable it's not it's not easy Mm -hmm. yeah um what this brings to mind for me is is this more of a phenomenon now that, you know, people being online, you're exposing yourself to like potentially thousands of people as opposed to maybe like, you know, pre-modern societies, it was just your village or tribe or whoever, like maybe a few dozen people. So like you're maybe inherently more vulnerable due to the nature of connection in modernity. Is that something? Probably that, that makes sense to me. I hesitate to make claims like that because I like have I've done very little like anthropological studying <laughs> and I've only only lived in this time period. So I, I try to resist the temptation to be like, ah, yeah, <laughs> now are like way harder than they used to be. But um, yeah, it makes sense to me. I was just thinking this the other day and I went to the grocery store. I was just like, yeah, this isn't a thing that like humans used to do. They just go to a place where there would be like dozens and dozens of strangers milling about and act like that was normal um getting in a car and driving 60 miles an hour uh you know just like day to day is like a almost like inherently scary thing that is just normalized now so yeah I guess there's a lot of that that um probably didn't used to be a thing and the being online is like more vulnerable like more more optional I guess more voluntary than some of the other ones but sure yeah I I guess yeah it's kind of a double-edged sword that way like one thing I love about Twitter is that like especially with a lot of the emotional processing that I'm doing is that I can be super open about stuff and especially when I feel shame around something that I'm going through or something that I'm feeling it's a really nice place to just like get it all out there and have a a lot of really supportive people engage with it or at least just witness it and so it's it's kind of the opposite side of that the nice side but then you're also sure yeah exposing yourself to um the not so nice sides as well. And we also have this problem in quotes where for a lot of people, like one negative comment or criticism, like has as much weight as, you know, 10 positive things. So even if you have like overwhelmingly, you know, positive reception to, you know, being vulnerable, like online, just like one or two, you know, criticisms can still like sting harder than the positive responses make you feel good. Yeah, totally. Especially if you are trying to come at it from a plate, like if you're trying to share something a little vulnerable and it feels a little risky, then it's like you're especially in a sensitive state to like get dunked on. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. (sighs) 
this feels like overstepping bounds, but I'll do it. Um, is there any- Go for it. We can always cut it out later if we oh, need to. Oh, so smart. Yeah. Is there any vulnerability you've shared on the timeline lately that you'd be willing to share right now? Um, I've been like a little quiet on Twitter recently. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I would say I probably have not. <laughs> I probably have not shared anything super vulnerable lately. If I, yeah, nothing is coming to mind, but if I, if something pops up later in the conversation, I'll, we can also scroll my tweets right now and look for <laughs> one if you want. <laughs> hmm. Oh, I thought of one. It's in response to the thing that, I mean, maybe this doesn't sound vulnerable at all, but like the, the thing that I was just talking about, Rivers prompt about like, you know, what's your, What's your mission? What what is your soul calling out for you to do in life? And um, yeah, he was kind of asking people to respond with theirs and also just to like be mindful, you know, kind of as a mindfulness experiment. How does it feel for you to share this? Like, you know, what's your emotional experience as you talk about this? And is this something that you can talk about with people in your life, with your friends and family? Is it like, or is it something that you hide? Is there shame around it? Like, do you talk about it with people, but then you distance yourself from it a little bit through sarcasm and like, you know, um, self-deprecation or, um, so yeah, I guess I, I went through mine a little bit, things that I want to work towards, which right now feels like being a massage slash craniosacral therapist slash maybe other types of body work, but like really mainly there to help people heal in such a way that they can also help people like unblock their soul's purpose and their capital M mission. Um, and also try to, whatever my healing methods end up being, try to share those more widely so that they're, they're not only accessible to people who can come do sessions with me. So whether that's through writing or podcasting or other means. Um, so that wasn't the part that felt vulnerable. The part that felt vulnerable to share is that like, I want a partner and children and like, I don't know, that's like a pretty common thing to want. But for some reason, for me personally, that feels like that's the part where I cringe with embarrassment a little bit when I share it with people. And uh, yeah, so there, I mean, there are more things that I put in the tweet too. I don't know if you know Simon Saris on Twitter, but like his tweet, his, his account really inspires me just in terms of like, sort of like everyday beauty of home life and, um, so like visual beauty, beauty in the, the small moments, the, you know, the, the Wednesday lunch that you make at home with your family, the everything about the way that your house is designed and laid out and decorated. Um, that's all kind of a part of what I want to, to build in my life, a vibrant and supportive community, animals around. Um, but yeah, it's funny, like, as I said that all of it felt very easy and exciting to talk about, except for like the partner and children just makes me feel like um that that part is the vulnerable part for me to share mm -hmm. okay yeah well I, I i admire the fact that you're you know going to share it both on the timeline and here now yeah it's it's uh vulnerability is so brave um i just am always admirable of people who are seem to be more advanced or further along in doing that than, mm -hmm. than myself yeah do you feel like you are able to share vulnerably on that timeline hmm I guess no, since I'm thinking about it so much, right? <laughs> That's mm. what that means. 
Well, to reference my tweet that you brought up, I think you're being vulnerable just by being a human. And hey, you're doing a podcast. I mean, to me, that feels like for me, if I were a podcast host and putting out episodes, that would be that would be vulnerable. So good on you. Well, fortunately, Jane, no one cares about this podcast, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which is great for me personally. Like I enjoy not being like I share every episode, but, you know, no one cares. And that's good. And ironically, I enjoy like being able to share myself and also like not, I don't know. Not having a million viewers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who knows? Maybe, maybe down the line, you know, it'll, <laughs> that'll change. Yeah. Um, but you're right. This is like definitely a step function towards vulnerability for myself. Yeah. I don't think it's even so much like about the reception of it. Like the fact that you do it, you make it and put it out there. That's the, that feels like the vulnerable part to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's not dependent on other people. That makes sense. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to move on to your next tweet. On March 24th, 2021, you tweeted, beautiful things are coming. Beautiful things are already here. Wow. So wholesome. So funny looking back at like different phases of your life via Twitter. Um, What did I mean? Hmm. I think I was big on mantras at that point. I think I was doing a lot of like morning journaling and mantras and stuff. And I think the idea with that one was like, there I am talking about beauty again, trying to manifest beauty in my life. So yeah, I think that it's like the idea of sort of like part one of the mantra is manifesting something new. And part two is like bringing myself back to the noticing of and the gratitude for the things in my life that are already that way so it's sort of like yeah it feels like a nice balance to me of like forward looking and planning and being intentional about what I want to bring into my life which I guess at that time was beautiful things not I do not remember what beautiful things I had in mind and um yeah, also being in recognition of how incredibly lucky I am already and what I already have in my life and, and how much beauty is already here to be enjoyed because I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to forget about that and just be looking towards the future all the time. It's probably probably a little bit of a personal tendency for me if like, if you want to like take on the, the frame of like some people tend to be a little more future oriented, some people a little more like past oriented and maybe some people who are very, very present often um those people i think are less are are rarer but um yeah i I tend to be pretty future oriented so it's a good reminder to to just like ground me in in the present once i set a future intention i guess Mm -hmm. what makes something beautiful to you Ooh, what a nice question yeah it feels like maybe there are two genres one would be a little more like visual aesthetics and a second one would be anything generally kind of like infused with with love and care um which maybe those things aren't so different maybe the first is kind of a subset of the second but um let's see I feel like a lot of my life right now like something that I kind of shied away from saying when you asked what I'm doing with my time is I'm spending a lot of time doing emotional processing, just processing a long backlog of stuff that built up over the course of my life so far. And yeah, kind of hitting pause and processing through a lot of it. And the way that I see what I'm doing with my time there is that um, 
if you think of all of the emotions that you have over the course of your life that don't get processed, all of the things that hit you in a certain way that just get like added to the backlog, it's, it feels like all of that was getting carried around on my body. And what I'm doing now is um, clearing space. And with that spaciousness, um, it will allow me to have that much more spaciousness, both as a therapist and body worker, and also just as a, a person in the world you know, with my loved ones and, and my dog and people that I interact with on the street and everything. And, um, the more spaciousness and emotional availability that I have, the more that I can be there for people. And these things, I really do think these things, um, the way that we treat other people and show up for other people. I think that if we really commit to doing that in a loving and positive way, that those those feelings, that positive energy kind of bubbles out in a pretty big way. And um, yeah, I would call that, that that's a big part of beauty for me is um, showing, showing up in a loving and positive way in the world um, day to day as much as possible. Not in a way where you're like beating yourself up about it or setting some crazy standard, but like as a general, general, um, commitment and orientation in life, um, to beauty, to love, to, to warmth, to, to honesty. Um, yeah, I, um, when I was younger, I, let's see, I'm trying to think like I used to live in DC. I think I left like three years ago. I lived there for five years after college and I lived in this studio apartment that was like very Spartan <laughs> it was I mean it was a great apartment in terms of like where it was and it even had this like tiny cute little patio which is hard to come by in DC but it just I had like nothing on the walls it was just it was it was very much like a the stereotype for like a young bachelor pad or something like it was very masky. you would I think if you looked at it you would assume that a guy lived there <laughs> Uh, I just had no sense of like interior decoration or design or like intentionality in terms of like what I wanted my home surroundings to look like. Um, I didn't even have a couch. I used to just like sit on my bed to watch TV. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was not great. It was not great. Jane, Jane, what was going on there visually? Um, so I think, yeah, it's nice to like think about too, just how how much your surroundings affect your, how much the exterior affects the interior. Um, there was a quote that I heard that I think is an AA thing, like cluttered room, cluttered mind or cluttered space, cluttered mind, something like that. Yeah, I think that would be where the, the visual beauty, which is a little newer to me, kind of plays into my life as well as like in this quest to be doing beautiful, loving things with as much of my time and energy as possible. I think, um, the surroundings, my personal surroundings play into that a lot as well. That was kind of a rambly answer. Did that answer your question? <laughs> oh, I, I don't, I don't care. I, I loved hearing all of that. I forgot the question. Um, cool. <laughs> it, that makes perfect sense. If you're sort of prioritizing in general, like a positive, loving, helpful energy towards everything in your life, have it like your environments, you know, just so greatly affects, you know, your mindset or your brain and different things. So like having a more beautiful home or living a space would somehow in ways you can't measure translate to having a higher level of, you know, love and positivity and, you know, all the things you care about, these, these positive emotions and expressions uh, in your just day-to-day -day 
existence. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, I also enjoyed like your dichotomy there of like beauty can come from aesthetics and or love and care. Yeah. Mm. I, I was thinking about this earlier. I was like, wait, is everything beautiful? Is that possible? Mm. Am I am I being <laughs> too generous there? Because um, I was trying to think like, what is an example of a clearly not beautiful thing? And I was thinking like, you know, maybe not a great example, but like, it's like, like a flickering light bulb. It's like kind of annoying, like be on or off light bulb, stop flickering. Then I was like, wait mm. a minute, that flickering bulb could be beautiful too. Like, oh, you know, look mm. how, look how just like is, you know, energetic and chaotic like that. That could be beautiful as well. Even if it's like mm. worse than either an off or an on bulb, a flickering bulb <laughs> could have some beauty as well. Analogize that to any potentially non-beautiful thing. <laughs> Oh, that's a total bong rip thought. I love it. <laughs> we are. Bruh, is everything beautiful? <laughs> this is an extremely deep discussion here. <sighs> yeah, let's play along. Is there any anything that comes to mind? Like, this is clearly not beautiful. Anything that comes to mind for you? Uh, if you have one in mind, go for it. Oh, it's like murder is probably not that beautiful, right? You know? Yeah, I was thinking like if beauty, if I was if I was defining beauty as acts infused with love, I guess it would be the opposite, you know, acts infused with with hatred. I almost said ugliness, so that's funny. Yeah. What's not beautiful? Ugliness. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, the opposite. Stuff that's um, bringing people down, uh, hurting people, um, intentionally malicious, greedy. Yeah, I think there are, there, are, there are probably plenty of examples. Right, right. I'm totally ignoring, just trying to be focused on positives here. But yeah, a person's intentions, if they're having some, you know, selfish, malicious intent that could manifest non-beautiful things for sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, I want to go on to your next tweet. On May 12th, 2021, you tweeted, at some point you stop trying to constantly prove to yourself and those around you that magic is real and simply act on it. Yeah, and by you, I mean me. Um, yeah, I wonder if this will ring true for you or any listeners. It's certainly been the case for me of like, there seems to be quite a pipeline in our part of Twitter of like, scientific materialists rationalists etc to like to like i don't even know what post-rat means but i think it means like more magic leaning <laughs> folks um that was certainly a part of my journey over the last couple of years it's like i i found this part of twitter through ayla very much like rationalist type people and um then i started discovering more magical people and I also moved to Asheville which is like a very magical hippie town and it just started opening my mind up to a lot of things that I had never thought like I had never yeah I had never considered as even possible or or um yeah what am I trying to say I guess I, I hesitate to give like really specific examples because I don't want to like I don't want to claim any specific ontologies with this. It's sort of just opening my mind to the possibility of like, like we were talking about manifestations earlier, you know, like if let's say you like go about specifically trying to manifest something 
and you write about it and you, and you do everything you can to bring that about. And then it comes about in a way that feels like you have this like amazing synchronicity around it. And it feels like too good to be true. And you just like want to go on Twitter and be like, Oh my God, look, this thing actually happened. I didn't think I would be able to manifest this. And I did. And like, I guess that was what I meant from like, Oh, wow. I didn't think that this thing was possible. And, uh, when it happens, I want to like go shout it to everybody. Like, look at this crazy thing that happened in this like amazingly synchronistic way. And then like, that sort of just becomes a commonplace experience for you. And you start to realize that like the power that you have to bring things about and make changes. And like, it starts to just become a part of your normal experience instead of like, wow, this like, incredibly magical thing happened like isn't that weird slash like acknowledging the like yeah how incredible it is but also still not really believing that like these things are possible does that make sense it does um i'm curious do you think this has any overlap with um the concept of doing things to expand one's if you know this term like one's luck surface area it's sometimes mentioned on Twitter. Oh, I haven't heard about that. What would be the luck surface area? Oh, it's just like, you know, as with these magical things, you can't necessarily control everything that right. the result of what you do and or what happens to you in life. But you can take actions to sort of um, attract or facilitate a higher rate of positive random events as opposed to yeah. not taking action and being more I don't know, submissive to whatever happens to you in life, you can, uh, yeah, this film is called like, it's on Twitter, like the luck surface area, I forget who never coined it or first discussed it. But um, that seems like potentially a way to manifest or attract as you're framing it more magical things that might otherwise be written off as like coincidences. Totally, that seems like a good definition for magic too, like increasing the surface area of of possibility of what you're trying to make happen because like you say you can't control all the conditions and so it's just sort of like positively affecting as many conditions as you can um i think another example that's coming up is stuff with like my energy body whereas like when i first started to have experiences where it was like oh this is like an energy body thing i've heard of this is this really happening did i imagine this and then like the more and more like somatic awareness type stuff that I've done and emotional processing, it's become like a really everyday part of my experience. And that's just happened to me a number of times with things that used to seem really like crazy or woo or silly or ridiculous to me when I was um, in a much more uh, rigidly scientific rationalist place. Yeah. Okay. So you're, it sounds like, are you regularly experiencing quotes, magical phenomena just with your energy body? Is that accurate? Yeah. Magic is a hard word to use. I guess the way that I think of magic now is just like stuff that is hard for us to explain mm -hmm. for now. You know, it's like probably potentially all very explainable things. We just don't necessarily like have have the words for it yet or have the like established scientific theories for it yet or whatever but um yeah in terms of energy body stuff yeah it's a it's a very regular experience for me now mm -hmm. another term for this might be woo yeah all these things we don't quite understand or have a firm grasp of um i happened upon this 
great phrase talking with friends just last week. Uh, the concept of someone's woo stack. I saw that on Twitter. Coding like, yeah. a, like a tech stack, but yeah. for woo. So I'm curious, uh, you just like list, what is your current woo stack? Um, can you give me an example of a, uh, like, what is, <laughs> what would your woo stack be or someone, else, or like just an example one? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be yours. Oh, I have no idea what woo is, is the problem. But I saw when I asked this, people <laughs> respond with things like uh, John Verveke, Rob Berbea, internal family systems uh astrology um mm. gosh i'm trying to remember like people said like lifting is a woo thing which i wasn't sure about but okay yeah this is like uh now i'm like super thrown off by what people mean by woo like rob berbea is woo i don't know i don't know that much berbea but um um yeah and sometimes i feel like that word has a really negative association and so i don't use it very often but it could also be the type of thing where like people people are taking it back and trying to like establish positive associations with it i don't know but um let's see what would mine be what would mine be is it just my whole life at this point is woo <laughs> <laughs> let's see i'm big on internal family systems i'm actually about to record a conversation with chow chu next week where we talk about meta therapies so we're gonna try to like hash out the way that we both combine all these different therapy modalities in, in, in our practices, um, which like probably most therapy modalities are already meta therapies because they, they, yeah, were conceived by like pulling together pieces from other therapies. But anyway, uh, massage, internal family systems, inner child, um, inner child work. I don't know what that is called specifically uh but i do a lot of that um i do something sometimes this is this is pretty woo i guess it's, it's sort of like uh some magic practices call it like a corridor practice i guess you could also call it like timeline repair it's sort of like going back into memories in the past and changing them in, in small ways let's see what else do i do that's woo uh I do a lot of energy stuff. I have some friends that are energy workers and they, they do a lot of cool energy things for me, the kind of thing that would have like totally blown my mind two years ago. Yeah, that, that feels like pretty, a, a lot of my, a lot of my woo stuff these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it matches with what I've seen of your, your tweets and you being vulnerable on the timeline. Okay. Yeah. I try to be, I try to be pretty open about it. There's maybe like, um, one or two woo things that I choose not to discuss on the timeline because it just feels like I don't know a little info hazardy or just a little a little too vulnerable for me. But like in general, I try to be super open about it. Mm -hmm. Well, just request after we're recording, I would love to if you're willing to share hear the info hazard, but no pressure. Totally, yeah. Let's do it. Remind me. Okay, uh, let's finish then by moving on to your next tweet on May twentieth, two thousand twenty-one. You tweeted. Anyone else use cute little nicknames when conversing with each chakra? Did I did I give any examples? I, no, you didn't. <laughs> oh my god, I forgot that I tweeted that. That's so sweet. <laughs> oh my god, like mid mid twenty twenty one Jane was just like so incredibly wholesome on the timeline. Oh my god. Um, and we love I to mean, see it. Yeah, we do. I have a. <laughs> I have a super sweet uh, uh, 
photo as my my display picture right now that's me when I was like six or something but I I still I don't think I'm as quite as like wholesome and adorable on the timeline right now as I used to be so yeah thanks for reminding me that I could I could go back to being that just like unabashedly wholesome let's see yeah yeah I um chakras there you go that's part of my woo stack for sure um yeah. So as part of like the emotional processing stuff that I do and the energy stuff, a lot of it ends up being, you know, finding, finding stuff in these specific parts of my body, my physical body, my energy body, et cetera, that line up with the chakras. And there's a lot of like what feels like discussion between that part of my body and then me whatever the me is whoever is mediating all of these all of these chakras all of these different you know internal family uh you know like my ifs parts etc it's sort of like someone who's running the meeting and has to be considering all these different needs and wants and things and uh i guess two examples that come to mind would be my heart and my gut so um when you think about like th- what you want to do, your desires, it's like, it's not always super straightforward what you want, right? Like sometimes you have conflicting desires. Sometimes you want to do something, but you also feel really tired or you just feel lazy or low energy or whatever. And so like, how do you decide what you really want to do? And maybe um, one of your chakras wants something and one of your chakras wants something else. Like, what do you do in that situation? And I guess what I try to do is like, be led by my heart which first meant like coming into contact with my heart so that there's even something there that I could hear and listen to and now I feel like that is mostly pretty established and it's like a matter of remembering to check in and feel into that and like sort of like leave that communication channel open and um yeah so when it comes to like it's also hard sometimes to tell between what is like an what, what is like a valid intuition and a valid desire versus what is like a coming from fear or tension or a trauma response. Um, so that's also what, what I'm trying to get at here through some of these communications is like, what is like the underlying thing that is really me that wants to be expressed versus like something that just needs to be processed and worked through and healed Um, but yeah, so when I, (laughs) it's a little embarrassing, but when I have some of these like check-ins and conversations and stuff, I'm just like, so I'm just so sweet and like loving and just like, it's because so much of it is inner child type stuff too, that it's just like, uh, it's just, you know, when you're talking to like, like a scared six-year-old version of yourself, like, why wouldn't you just like be incredibly sweet and loving and wholesome and use a lot of like pet names and just be over the top adorable you know so I do that a lot when I talk to my IFS parts and my my heart chakra and my you know whatever else it might be yeah it's funny now when I think about like I'm trying to talk to my gut an example with that would be like what do I want to eat and you can actually like the gut one is harder for me I don't find that like channel to be as open in general as it is between just like trying to communicate with my heart but like I would if I can get a message about like what I want to eat am I actually hungry is it something else yeah I don't I don't have this like same feeling of my gut being quite as like (laughs) the the communication there wouldn't feel like um 
I would maybe be a little less over the top wholesome and like <laughs> using baby voices and stuff. I don't know. The gut just has this feeling to me of being like more like powerful and strong and stuff. And so maybe it would be a little less of like sweet little baby type pet names, but uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I loved hearing all of that. <laughs> I think we can just ins- use this answer as my woo stack answer. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. With the gut, isn't there a thing where like you have a second brain in your gut? Is that a thing? Is that woo? I feel like that's some claim, right? There's a lot of like. I don't think that's woo at all. I think there's a lot of science that backs that up. And I think there's like a lot more science to be done there. Isn't there something about like um <sighs> science? Yeah, I don't know. It's like the number of like dopamine receptors that we have is like more we have more in our gut than we do in our brain or something um i mean it's in so many cultures and societies it's like kind of thought of as like the center of your being and where you move from and where all of your strength and you know like decision power comes from so yeah it definitely does seem to me like a potential second brain although i don't know how true that is in our culture I don't like I don't I've been working on this for a long time and I still feel like my connection with my gut is very minimal it feels blocked a lot with the like the exception would be sometimes I get psoas massage done or just abdominal massage in general when I go in for a massage it's not a normal it's not like a standard part of a massage package you would kind of have to talk about it specifically in advance of the massage um but when I get stomach massage done then I'll feel like sort of like a newfound ability to connect with my gut afterwards and then similarly when I do psychedelics usually there will be like a one or two week period afterward where that connection is more open but in general it like it feels pretty murky to me and I wonder if that's the case with like a lot of people in our society, especially when you think about like the American relationship with food, um, I think that can be like a really, for me personally, it's a really big blocker is like if I'm overeating or just eating really shitty food, it seems like it, it, it muddies the waters a lot in, in terms of that connection. And that's pretty common for um, us Americans. So I don't know how much it actually is functioning as a second brain for a lot of us, but I do think it really has that potential. I think it also just houses a lot of trauma for a lot of people too, which, which blocks the blocks, a lot of its potential. You're so embodied. Uh, It's so great. (laughs) I'm talking about how murky my gut connection is. (laughs) Right. But even the fact that you're noticing that I can the notice that it's murky. <laughs> Some people go through their whole lives, I imagine, not even whatever, acknowledging their gut or what it might be telling them. Well, thank you for the observation. I appreciate it. Are you willing to share any of your chakras nicknames? Cute little nicknames for them? I don't I don't have like standard go-to nicknames, but like uh, I call myself sweet baby Jane a lot. That's pretty embarrassing. <laughs> I talk to myself. Wait, is there a sound effect coming? Is it? <laughs> I thought you were. I thought you. I, I thought I saw you like reaching for one. Okay. Um. Yeah. I talk to myself all the time. I talk to myself out loud as much as possible. I just find it to be like, in terms of a lot of processing stuff, it's just so much better than saying things in my head, and also better than writing things. It's like there's something about the resonance, a bit like capacity that just like 
goes way up for me when I say things out loud and then hear myself saying them. So yeah, I talk to myself constantly and I call myself sweet baby Jane. Cancel me for it. Twitter. I dare you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That was the sound effect for sweet baby Jane. That sounded like an (laughs) elevator ding. (laughs) Fine. Fine. Thank you. That's more like it. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying out a new one there, and now I know. Not really appropriate. The uh, that just elevator ding. Oh my god, sweet baby Jane. That is cool. How like talking out loud it makes perfect sense. Like talking out loud has a greater effect than writing or thinking. That's very cool. Yeah. Do you know the bioemotive framework at all? It's not part of my woo stack. I've been there. You go. That was like one of the first things in my woo stack. Oh, I shadow work. I guess probably I would put on my woo stack also. Um, yeah, Doug Tatarin is the guy who came up with the biomotive framework. He's awesome. He's on Twitter. Um, I heard about it from Chow Chu a while ago. Uh, anyway, yeah, that was something I learned from there. It's like when I was first starting to like get close enough to my emotional landscape to like really be able to tell what was what in terms of emotions like I heard from the bioemotive framework that if you're trying to you know you're feeling something you don't know what you're feeling he has like a list of like core emotions and then maybe like a maybe like secondary ones I don't really remember the framework I haven't looked at it in a while but like you can like go through and say them aloud and you'll when you say it you'll be able to feel in your body if that's it or not like I am sad i am ashamed i am scared so like if you feel something you don't know what you can try saying them and probably at least one of them will resonate in your body in a certain kind of way and it'll it'll you know help steer you in the direction of actually processing it once you know what the feeling is so i think i probably got it from that and then just started doing it with like everything and it's part of the beauty of living alone for me is that i don't have to feel like a lunatic talking to myself all the time Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Yeah, living alone is, is pretty top, in my opinion. Definitely. Definitely. Any other nicknames? Sweet Baby Jane? Hmm. Uh, none that are coming to mind. None that are consistent enough that, like, um, I just am, like, in general, just super lovey-dovey <laughs> with, like, especially, yeah, especially the IFS part stuff, like, for whatever reason, for me personally, a lot of my stuff tends to be um, inner child work. It just seems to be a way that my psyche communicates with me. And it maybe it won't always be that way. But like other people talk about sometimes like having lots of archetypal stuff come up for them and like they're king or queen or like a lot of like animal stuff or like their interior landscape will look like uh nature landscapes like they have waterfalls and volcanoes and rainforests and all this stuff in their interior and for me it just seems like it's just inner child inner child inner child so that tends to be a lot of my stuff and yeah I don't I don't I don't think I'm doing maybe the nickname thing quite so much as I was when I tweeted that but I I do just try to be super lovey-dovey and warm and, and maternal generally with the the, the parts that I find. Mm-hmm. That's so beautiful. And um, uh, I, I do love like the, the sweet nickname just because 
it's one of my favorite things I see on Twitter, like people calling each other sweet, whether it's either, you know, sincere or like whatever, sarcastic or facetious, like mm. it hits mm. every time for me. It's so good. What, what would yours be? My sh- chakra nickname? Or just one for yourself. Hmm. 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 I, I can't think <laughs> of an answer. I don't, I'm not, I'm not this uh, embodied. We'll leave this as an exercise for the listener. What, <laughs> what is, what will everybody's personal sweet nickname be? Or what would it, everyone come up with one for Luffy? I love it. Okay. Next tweet. On December 15th, 2021, you tweeted, you guys, stop laughing. This is serious. We gotta, <laughs> checks notes, cultivate joy. <laughs> God, it's it's nice to be able to laugh at my own jokes. I, I genuinely think that one was really funny. I'm like, I'm very proud of that. I, yeah, well done, December 2021, Jane. Um, yeah, what's the story there? Um, okay, here's something that I find happening all the time in the last couple of years. It's like, I'll notice something that I'm not able to do, like a yeah, I'll notice something cool that other people are doing that just feels like, oh, I don't think my brain does that. Or I don't think like, it doesn't seem like part of my constitution or my makeup. Like maybe that's just not a thing I can do. Here's an example, like a visual thinkers. I've always been a pretty verbal person. My family is a very verbal family. Um, A lot of good writers in my family, very into, yeah, like grammar and stuff and never not a lot of like visual artists or anything like that um when I was a software developer I noticed that a lot of people I worked with seemed to be really good systems thinkers and that there seemed like some overlap between systems thinking and visual thinking sort of almost like maybe they were seeing in their mind's eye what a system looked like visually kind of as they were designing it and I didn't really feel like I could do that I just felt like so word oriented that that's what like when I thought through the logic of designing a system I did it all in words and so it was like I also noticed that like the people who seemed there were a lot of people around me who had very complex and interesting dreams and they had these like really vivid visually complex dreamscapes and like I did not have dreams like that at all my dreams were very basic visually intended to be about like the things that were being said and so yeah I just wondered about that and I kind of I was a little envious like why why are my dreams so so boring why can't I see more stuff in my mind why am I so word oriented and I started to think that visual thinking was something that like a skill that I really needed to develop. Like I would need to like sit down and go about like developing this capacity and like, yeah, I didn't really know how to do it. Uh, the person I was dating at the time suggested that I just start like watching videos about how a car engine works because then I would like, yeah, I could watch the whole system like play out and sort of like let my brain flex that muscle and and develop it and um it sounded like a good idea I don't think I actually did it because like god that sounds torturous to me honestly (laughs) I just just I just don't care how how a car engine works but um 
what I find like with a lot of these things is that it feels like it's going to be some process of like effortfully developing a skill. And then it just turns out that like we have these innate abilities and capacities that sort of need to be unblocked that like somewhere along the line, they got blocked. And if you can uncover it, it's already there and it doesn't have to be effortful. And um, that's really been true for me in terms of visual thinking and imagination and dreams like that stuff has started to become unblocked for me I would say in the last couple of years and it didn't have to be effortful at all I mean the more that I I do it now the more that those that that capacity continues to open but it's I'm not yeah it's really like it doesn't feel effortful it's more just something that happens and so I think I, I was trying to sort of like point at the silliness of that process in that tweet it's like if you if you feel like your life is is a little joyless or like a little overly serious which like maybe for me it's been a theme of like things feel very serious for me and I forget to like play and like just like embrace the joy so it's like I don't need to go about very effortfully cultivating joy and making a list of things I can do to experience joy like I think there's a lot of joy available to me that I can sort of just open up to and embrace. And like, yeah, when I'm out with my dog, like walking through a grassy field, I can just like play tag with her and embrace my inner six-year-old and be silly and flap my arms like a bird and play. Like I don't need to like in a very adult, like ambitious way, create a to-do list of joyful activities um so yeah in fact I think that tends to like negate the joyfulness um to to go about it so effortfully um yeah I think that's that's what I was trying to point out there is that like for me personally a lot of times the thing that feels like it's missing it's something I already know how to do and I'm able to do if I can, if I can notice what is getting in the way of it and release that. This feels like, again, like unblocking yourself or just like giving yourself permission to, Mm. I don't know, like lower Mm. the activation energy to experience joy. Like you don't have to like schedule flapping your arms or embracing your inner child. You can just, just do it whenever. Totally. I love, I love the word that you use permission. Yeah. Because I do think that that is key for a lot of these things. Like why did, why does it feel like we don't have permission in the first place? That's a good question. Why do we, why do we feel like we need permission? But we, we totally do. I, I do in a lot of ways, it feels like I, I need permission to do things. And, and I, I don't realize ways I'm not allowing myself. I'm not giving myself permission. Yeah. I think that's a really great point one way the permission thing has been I guess unclear for me personally is the well I, I'm very good about permissioning myself by myself but when in communication or the presence of someone else or other people um, I, I felt like some difficulty or tension with permission there in in the sense of it's kind of like my perfectionist attitude coming out but like you know what's the right amount to share or be vulnerable? How do I, you know, both express myself, but not, you know, 
impose some negative experience on anyone else, which mm, is, you know, yeah, so strict yeah. and rigid. Um, it's okay to give someone a bad experience. Um, but the permission for me is more difficult to grasp or come to peace with um, when in the context of being with other people. Totally. Yeah, I really get that. It's a, it's a hard balance to find the, yeah, being authentic without like going too far, being too much, sharing too much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I relate to that. I think it's a, yeah, I hear you. Mm -hmm. And I know again, thinking out loud, like the solution is probably just to be incremental about it. Like if vulnerability is on a scale from like zero to hundred, you know, start with like five vulnerability, then maybe like eight and 14 and 20 and, you know, gauge with every sort of incremental step. How are the people responding mm. to it? But mm -hmm. that feels very unnatural to me. I kind of like mm -hmm. to like get to the point or like, you know, go to the destination. So like, I'm like, hey, here's vulnerability 75. Oh, is that too much? All right, we'll step back to like 30. How's that? Um, which, you know, essentially selfish and not um, respecting sort of the other person's state of mind or what they mm. you know want from the conversation. Well, I definitely relate to the oversharing thing. When I was a developer working in a tech company, I felt like I was chronically oversharing just because it was not an environment where people tended to like share really personal stuff a lot. And I just like, just like, oh, I just want to say this stuff. I spend so much of my time here every day. When am I supposed to just not share stuff about myself all the time? Um, but yeah, it was a little, a little chronically overshare e. But I would, I guess, I would just ask you, like, if you have. And this is potentially like not necessarily expecting an answer could be a rhetorical question, but just like, are there specific relationships in your life where you feel extremely safe and just like able to like really be yourself? Because those could be those could be the ones where, um, you know, you can really they could be like your playground with this, you know, where you can just really test out what it's like to be to be your vulnerable self, your emotional self, like at all of these different levels and see kind of how it goes and and just have the experience of like sharing some of your deepest darkest stuff and being fully accepted and, and held in that which i think is a an invaluable experience that that everybody should get to have at some point yeah i think it becomes a little easier to modulate that with like general relationships other less intimate relationships when you do have the ones where like anything and everything is welcome mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense because like in those more intimate relationships there's going to be like this shared context understanding of like you know more and more acceptance of the other person in their entirety like all the you know flaws and vulnerabilities and ways they make you mad or whatever like it's all still like on top of this like background or foundation of like you know love yeah yeah a lot of trust there mm -hmm. yeah hmm Great. Yeah, glad I said the word permission. <laughs> yeah, me too. Okay, next tweet. On January 11th, 2022, you tweeted, a lot of the ground under my feet has been crumbling recently. The two things that still feel unshakably good are love and balance. Ooh, this kind of feels like a vulnerable one. What did I mean there? Yeah, I still, I still think about this one a lot because it still rings very true for me 
And I think Robbie Palmer replied and asked what I meant by balance. And I still have not responded. And I'm still thinking about like, how do I respond to that? Because I have like a very felt sense of what I mean there about balance, but I haven't really put it into words yet. So maybe I'll try to do that now. So yeah, a lot of the kind of emotional processing stuff that I'm doing means, um, yeah, and on the on a similar theme, what we were just talking about with unblocking things, like a lot of this emotional processing work just feels like peeling back layers of an onion. And it's like, there's all of these little protective mechanisms that we build around ourselves throughout our lives based on the experiences that we have and ways that we get hurt and like things that we're told we're not supposed to do and ways of seeing the world and interacting with the world that make it feel safer and make us feel better about ourselves like I guess you could call them ego structures too I don't know I have like mixed feelings about the word ego and the connotations that it has I prefer to like see it in the light of of um, protective mechanisms people just like wanting to feel safe more than anything and I think a big part of what I'm trying to do now is peel back some of those layers and remove some of the protective mechanisms that are like not serving me blocking my connection with reality and like the present moment and what's really there and um Yeah, it can be destabilizing sometimes. I mean, there's plenty of talk in like our part of Twitter about the dangers of meditation. You know, there have been especially some some news cycles, (laughs) news cycles in in terms of Twitter, Twitter cycles about people who go on long Vipassana retreats and, um, you know, have psychotic periods or or whatever. when you start messing around with these psychotechnologies, I guess you could call them, it can be really destabilizing and things that you thought were yourself or your personality turn out to be defense mechanisms or protective structures. And I think what I don't, I can't point to exactly what I was talking about when I said the thing about the ground underneath me um, crumbling, but I think the sense what it brings up for me now is just a lot of things that felt to me like given it was a given or it was the way things were, the way things were always going to be or relationships that I would always have in my life or aspects of those relationships that would always be present. And then I worked through something and that thing changed. Like, so, you know, I think it could happen with it. It could happen with your values and your goals in life, right? You could, think that you want to spend your whole life as a software developer and then you heal something and realize it's not actually what you want to do with your life. I don't know that I ever thought I always wanted to be a software developer, but um, I certainly went through a period where I was still a software developer and then I worked through some things in my personal life and my emotional life and I felt like a lot of my motivation at work was gone and that was awkward. (laughs) That was, that was an awkward period to still be in that job for whatever amount of time and feel like my motivation structure was completely changed. Um, so that was that, I think that's a good example of what I was getting at there is like, it's a really beautiful process and it's also a destabilizing process and can be, can be scary in the sense that like, um, your life can change very quickly and things that you thought were kind of like unshakable pieces of you turn out not to be. And then the next day you wake up and it's not there anymore. And you're trying to like 
figure out how to keep going about your life without this, this piece. Um, and you also notice how many other of the voices in your head that you're prone to listening to are actually the voices of, of hurt children. Right. Or like to say that in a less, less dramatic way, like, yeah, it's just, you start trying to look around for what's really you versus what's a protective mechanism. And it can be disconcerting how, how much of it is actually protective mechanisms, like protective mechanisms all the way down. <laughs> um, for me, yeah, for me, at least that's been a pretty common theme of like, yeah, it can, it can be scary to notice that. And uh, so when I have had trouble finding values or ways of orienting myself in life that feel very stable throughout this process. I just noticed that orienting towards love has, has felt consistently good for me. I haven't found ways that that has, that that has changed in this process. Uh, and that doesn't always mean lovey dovey being nice to everyone that very much includes, um, acts of boldness, acts of boundary setting, things like that. I think, you know, that love is a pretty wide net that's, that includes things that look um, a lot of different ways, but uh, then balance, I guess. Yeah, this is the one that's a little hard to describe, but I keep coming back to it. It's like, I find a lot of paradoxes, like um, being able to hold two things that feel like they're in conflict or they're paradoxical with each other and being able to hold both is true. I find that to be very useful. Um, and maybe that's part of like, what doesn't work for me with the rationalist mindset. Um, and that feels to me like a sort of balance. And then in terms of ideologies, that's another thing that I think changes constantly with this type of thing is you'll get really into some, some ideology, some belief system, and then, you know, a month later, two months later, things have changed for you. And it's like, that's thrown out the window and there's some other belief structure that's really, really appealing at that point. And so trying to be very balanced, I think, and hold, hold beliefs slightly. Um, yeah, this is, this is like feeling very vague as I say it aloud, but it's hard to give specific examples. I mean, I guess like a, a good example would be in the the bodywork studies that I'm doing. And I really appreciated in massage school. I felt like there was a very balanced approach to this because one day we would be studying, you know, like Western physiology. And the next day we'd be studying Chinese medicine, which is a totally different framework and, and um, approach to the human body. And there aren't even, my Chinese medicine teacher was an American woman. And she was like saying that she had been through the whole Western medical education system. And she was working at some very prestigious cancer hospital before she decided to go to Chinese medicine school. And she said that when she first started studying Chinese medicine, she was trying to translate it into like Western ideas the whole time. Like, okay, what's the Western medicine equivalent of this? And at some point she just realized like, okay, there's not for a lot of this stuff. There is just, this is not like a directly, it's not like a language where you can directly translate this idea into this idea. They're just completely different frameworks and approaches to the human body. And so, um, yeah, it's very easy when trying to get into um, massage or body work or any study of the body and somatics to 
become really dogmatic about one specific belief system or approach and think that that is the one source of truth. Whereas like, I think it serves people or at least serves me a lot better to familiarize myself with some of these approaches, but hold them all lightly and, and um, see what I find to be true when I put my hands on somebody and massage them and listen with my hands and what do I hear? Um, and there's all these education frameworks in the background that I can hold lightly and use to help. But um, that, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is that would be an example of the way that I find balance to be a really useful um, value. And I haven't, as these various things have changed for me and various grounds under my feet have crumbled, I have never felt like, ah, balance isn't the right thing here. Balance has failed me in this way. Um, it's, it's something that has felt consistently good. Mm -hmm. Thank you for saying all that. Thanks for listening. I am like, every time I get to the end of an answer, I feel embarrassed about like, wow, that was so rambling and like weird. And I don't know if that was like coherent at all, but it's fun to have this, this almost feels like a drafting space or something where I'm just like, sh like throwing about throwing out a bunch of words and hopefully like trying to like throw some spaghetti against the wall and hopefully some of it'll stick and make some kind of sense. So mm -hmm. thanks for the prompts and questions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and just like rambling is never a negative for me, just knowing about someone's experience of life or their understanding of things is like one yeah. of the most fulfilling activities for me, just to be able to listen and get a glimpse into someone else's, you know, inner world and experience. It's, it's always great for me. Cool. Well, I think this podcast format is really nice too. There, yeah. Something about the, like, um, it's like reflecting on these little gems of wisdom or jokes or whatever it is that we decided we're worth putting out to the world at some point over the years uh, mm -hmm. and then reflecting back on it later it's it feels like a very fertile ground for for exploration so i appreciate it okay next tweet on april 3rd 2022 you tweeted that energetic pressure cooker feeling yeah. It always feels like using the word energetic on the timeline is like a little risky. Is it risky? Is that what it is? Hmm. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, there's this feeling that I've had with my energy body a lot recently where it feels like my head's going to explode. <laughs> um, it happened for the first time. I haven't told Darby this, but I stayed with Darby one night when I was driving out this way so I was living in Asheville North Carolina until the end of 2021 I finished massage school in December and then I hung out for a couple of weeks and then in early January I left Asheville in my van with my dog I bought a van for the trip and uh yeah drove out first to Arizona I was doing some training there and then and then I came to New Mexico but I stayed with Darby one night on my way out here and <laughs> the night that I stayed with her I don't know what it was something about talking with her I guess or maybe it was just totally unrelated and coincidental but um yeah it's interesting how like sometimes these things we have we talk to somebody and something kind of opens or changes in our experience or it's almost like we get like a download from people so I wonder if it was something like that but that night I like laid down in her her 
I was going to say her guest room. She actually gave me her bedroom, which was very nice. Um, yeah, I laid down to go to sleep and something was happening in my head and like things were opening or something, but it just felt like almost felt like my head was going to explode. Like something was trying to like move up and out, but couldn't fully. And so it, um, not a comfortable feeling, <laughs> just a lot of stuff happening up here, moving and changing. And uh, that was the most pronounced time that it's happened, but it's been ever since then, it's been off and on this feeling of, yeah, sort of like a pressure cooker in my head feeling. Hmm. Have, have you explored like different reactions or next steps? Like when, when you experience that in the moment, like other different things you do to respond to it? I give myself scalp massages and that seems to help. Yeah. It's, I'm like, uh, so much of this energy stuff is still a mystery to me and I'm just beginning to put together the pieces I think and so um yeah it's interesting like I used to I think about fascia a lot now that I'm studying massage do you know what fascia is it's um it's connective it's like a web of connective tissue in our body so under our skin between our skin and our muscles there's this whole web of tissue that spans our entire body and so every part of our body is connected to every other part of our body with this web. Like you could draw a path from any part of your body to any other part via this web. Um, and there's actually, it's not just that, like it's at more layers than that. That's the superficial layer. But then like when you get deeper, every muscle is actually also wrapped in fascia. Our organs are wrapped in fascia. I think um, it's like, so it's connective tissue. And then it's also like a supportive, um, protective web around various structures. And it kind of like goes, goes down many levels that way. But anyway, why did I bring up fascia? It has this interesting property to do it where it like can change between a more liquid structure to a more solid structure. And it's changing all of the time. Um, like it, it, you know, it's like, based on a number of things, including like our feeling of safety, it's like a permeability thing. Like how permeable do we want to be with our surroundings? And so it's very relevant with massage because when you, there's this whole process at the beginning of the massage of like, when you put your hands on somebody first, you're like saying hello to their body and you're kind of introducing your, their body to your body and your body to their body. And like, you don't just like come in with your first touch, like an elbow deep into someone's back, right? Like you, you kind of like warm up and warm them up. And part of that is like saying hello to their fascia and establishing yourself as like a safe and loving and therapeutic presence so that their fascia is comfortable with you. And there's like a rapport and a relationship established where the fascia lets you in because it really does change in consistency and it, it, you know, liquefies and opens up and like lets you in or it doesn't. And it, it solidifies and, and protects and keeps you out. And like, um, yeah, it's a really interesting process there. And something I've noticed over this journey of embodiment that I've been on, I guess you could call it is, um, that, so I also get the sense that our fascia holds a lot of our emotional memories like um even even like yeah I mean I, I I really can't make this as like a solid claim but the sense I get is like even like 
when visual memories flash as I'm processing through an emotional thing, I wonder if it's that's coming from the fascia itself. But anyway, the fascia on my head, I think, used to be very taut a lot of the time. And part of the reason I think that is because of how sensitive I was to getting my hair pulled. Like if my hair got pulled even a tiny bit, it was like incredibly painful. And I noticed that that wasn't the case for a lot of other people. And I also have been a traditionally like very in my head thinky person, <laughs> which I think like um, in terms of like energy balance, it's like a lot of, it's like a disproportionate amount of energy and activity and awareness just focused and like in my head. Um, and I think that is changing now. And I think that like the fascia on my head and my scalp is getting softer and more open. And I just think that there's more movement happening here in general, in terms of like my cranial bones, which is a, a thing that like craniosacral therapy is all about, um, making very small adjustments to the way that your cranial bones interface with each other, um, because they can get out of place and jammed in ways that affect us negatively. Um, and I notice a lot more sensation in my head now that I never used to notice. I never used to feel it and maybe it was there and I just didn't notice it, but I suspect that like, there just wasn't as much, like I notice as I'm reading something or being with certain people that like, I'll feel things in different parts of my head in interesting ways, interesting patterns. And like, I guess the woo description for that would be crown chakra energy. Um, I don't, I don't feel like I have enough of a relationship yet where I can feel into like, oh, this part of my head is buzzing. It means this thing. I don't know. I'm just only just starting to become aware of those sensations and things. But um, anyway, that feels relevant. And so anyway, when I start to feel that pressure cooker feeling, it feels like energetic stuff is trying to happen. Things are trying to open up, but maybe some things are blocked in such a way that the energy is getting trapped up here. And scalp massage seems to really help just to like let things move out. Um, another thing that I noticed, uh, I was getting a massage recently from a massage therapist in Santa Fe who I really, really like. And it was a great massage, but I was also just having a lot of thoughts happen the whole time. It was kind of like, I was just sort of stuck in a, a very thought heavy mode. And then, uh, I was actually, it was actually craniosacral, not massage. She, she started to do a little bit of work on like my upper chest. Yeah. Right around like the base of my neck and my shoulders. And just from like opening up a couple of things there, all of a sudden it was like, my thoughts just like stopped, just like turned off. And, uh, yeah, it sort of felt like there was some thing where whatever was happening up here in my head was just able to like move more fluidly throughout my body at that point that like I had some tensions around this area. I'm pointing at like my neck and shoulders and upper chest, some tensions there maybe that were just preventing a more even flow. And I think that's probably what's happening when I'm getting that energetic pressure cooker feeling like, um, if you want to use the the framework of chi or prana or energy, which is what I have been saying a lot. Like, um, I think that I have more in my body now than I used to because of how much I've opened up in the last year or two and just come 
um, come more into alignment with myself. So I think that more of that energy is naturally preserved, but it also means that when there are blocks and tensions, they're more, I can notice them more readily because I have more energy to get trapped now, if that makes sense. And so, wow, I have completely lost track of where this started. What was the original tweet? Oh yeah. The energetic pressure cooker feeling. I feel like that was like, yeah, there's, I have a lot of ideas there of what's happening and no concrete answers, but that's a, that's a, that, that's a whole bunch of ideas. There you go. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's so fascinating. Um, the whole fascia concept, I didn't even know it was a thing. Wow. Do you ever get body work? Do you ever get massages or, or uh, acupuncture or anything like that? No, I don't. I'm missing out. Yeah, there's a whole. Th yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's not for everybody. If it's your thing, it's your thing. If it's not, it's not. But like a lot, there are a lot of massage therapists who specifically do fascial work. Um, and for me, it's some of my favorite to give and receive. I think maybe sometimes with massage, there can be an overemphasis on muscles and, um, yeah, like the, the, the fascia is, is just such a, there's so much richness there to work with. And it's sort of a first step before you even work with the muscles. So I, I love receiving fascia work and I, I find it to be very fruitful when I do it for other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing all this. It's yeah, it, it's it's amazing to hear all the experiences of tension up there and how you address it and everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, that was all the tweets I had. Uh, before we wrap up, I would just love to know, uh, Jane, what are your favorite things about your Twitter experience? Ah, uh, that's a great question. I have made some incredibly wonderful friends. Um. Yeah, Tashin comes to mind immediately. Uh, my friends Hanjo and Ananda, they're like not super on Twitter anymore, but I'm about to, we're going to live together in Taos for a couple of months starting soon. Um, Tashin and I lived together in Santa Fe for a month. Like it really is not just internet friends for me. Like my internet friends are becoming my real life friends and there's this whole community. And I think, I think Vibe Camp probably shocked a lot of us in that way of like how how good it ended up being and how much of a real like community feel there is there and can be and we can really meet up in person and do wonderful things together and um, I mean we can do wonderful things together not being in person as well the collaborations that you see coming out of Twitter is really special um, yeah yeah just getting to meet so many wonderful people and friends, mentors, teachers, um, communities. Yeah, I guess more recently. So the way that I was on Twitter for a while, once I started to, um, once the like initial engagement started to happen, because I feel like there is that awkward period at the beginning where you're just like trying to make your way in and you're like kind of tweeting into the void and stuff. And so once I moved past that piece and had, you know, started to actually develop some friendships, then it was like, I spent a lot of my time just being on Twitter, chatting with people on there. And then more recently, I guess like around the start of 2022, I started moving into some more like designated online communities, like smaller communities with people that I met from Twitter. So I spend a little less time on Twitter now. And um, 
yeah, Twitter feels a little chaotic for me right now and I'm not spending a ton of time on it and I'm spending more time in some mostly discord communities with people that I met on Twitter and I'm, I'm really enjoying that. They're just a little more directed in terms of like intention and purpose and um, yeah, getting to know people better that way through these um, smaller communities and they're pretty much all people that I met from Twitter. So that's been an amazing pipeline for, um, yeah, smaller, more concentrated, intentional uh, online communities. So that's been, that's what's been really great about it for me. Um, I guess also just the ability to process through a lot of emotional stuff. That's, it's been really helpful for me that way. And it's kind of nice. There is a way in which it's harder to have online friends than in-person friends because you miss out on a lot of the wonderful things about being in person, which is like getting to be around people's presences and their body language and, and um, getting to hug each other and, you know, just all the wonderful things about being in person with people. But then there's also something that's really nice about it when like, I find that like, you know, especially if I'm processing through something tough, I can be like a mess, just like in bed, disheveled, haven't showered in four days. Like I'm just, you know, a mess of a human, but I can still like go on Twitter and tweet about stuff and get like a ton of, of support from people. And then I can like go off Twitter again and just go back to being like a mess of a human. And there is something really nice about how like, how low commitment it is kind of. Um, and you can just kind of like uh, opt in, opt out anytime. And there isn't really like a, you know, there's no like, okay, I'm going to go to a thing and be there for some number of hours. And yeah, that, that aspect of it. So yeah, especially because I process through a lot of shame stuff. I think it's just so helpful to be able to practice being myself more and sharing things openly. That was, that was really hard for me for a long time. Um, and I used to see people do it online and feel very jealous of them and just not know how to do it myself. Uh, so yeah, the friends, the the smaller online communities that have popped up. And I think the, the ability to process difficult emotional things and, and receive a lot of support and hear about a lot of other people going through similar things has been amazing. Yeah, a whole lot of that resonates. Yeah, thanks for sharing all that. Yeah. Okay, uh, Jane, thanks again so much for taking the time to talk with me today and uh, have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much, Loopy. This was really, really fun. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, yeah, same here. All right, take care. Bye.